Sometimes I look at pieces and say, man, I, where was I when I wrote that? Or, you know, sometimes it's like, I wish I could get back there. That was, you know, very fertile piece. And other times I say, oh God, I hope people don't see the mistakes. <laughs> you know what I mean? Or the scenes in it. When I sit there at the table with my score and listen, I'm finding all kinds of things I would have done differently. And when mm -hmm. I just sit there and listen without the score, I think, oh, it's wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> I have to, I have to watch, see you about that because I'm a visual person. So I do like to have the score. Uh, I'm working with a, a, a couple of groups now where half of the people read and the other half don't read. And that, that's always hard. But the non-readers all seem to have really good ears. Generally, if I play something for them once, they've got it the second time down, and that's that's good. Whereas someone like me who reads, you think you see something, and so you start playing mistakes, and of course, those mistakes become part of the fabric. That dichotomy between reading, though, is so fascinating to me because I think about it a lot. You know, improvisers, um, you, you tend to think in a certain way that, that, that um, when you're notating, you, you think differently. And so a person who's notating has you know, fundamentally different ideas than a person who's improvising. And so with you working with a group with both, I think is a pretty fascinating thing. It's interesting. And the pianist always says, wow, this never goes where I want it to go or where I think it's going to go. It's like, just read the damn music. <laughs> you know, he's always trying to force things a certain way. And it's like, uh -huh. and I guess, um, you know, a lot of times people who are, especially if they're steeped in a certain tradition, they always want things to go a certain way. And they're, I think that gospel and jazz people are worse about that than classical people, you know? Because uh, I remember I wrote a piece once and I hired a gospel pianist and he said, you mind if I gospel this up? And I thought it was gospel up when I gave it to you, but I was like, okay, let's see. And you know, he, he, I like altered a few chords and stuff. It was, I mean, it was perfect, but just the fact that he, he didn't see it as a gospel piece when I gave it to him. <laughs> I thought that was interesting. <laughs> Welcome to Relevant Tones. I'm Seth Bosted, and I'm featuring music of Regina Harris by Aki on the show today. And speaking of gospel music.
you know, you, you write in so many different styles, but it's not just music. You're kind of a polymath in general. I mean, how do you balance all of these, your interest in poetry, music, uh, you know, visual arts? Every time I, I talk to you, you've got, you know, some whole new inspiration for a piece. And, and I think, <laughs> where did you find the time to, uh, you know, to do all of this? Because can you talk about that a little bit, how you balance all these different interests? You know, it's, it's not as easy as it may seem especially if I try to direct it, you know, sometimes, um, you know, like Hale Smith, my mentor always says the thing that inspired him, inspires him was money and a deadline. And I think deadlines are good for me because it, it forces me to, to try to meet the muse where I need to be to write this piece. Like I'm working on a, a, a choral piece and I have to wrap my head around this six voice choir. They're one of the groups where some of the people read and some of them don't. And so that means that I have to do the heavy lifting. I have to write a piece that's very simple, that sounds um, complex, but not complicated, so that there's some interest there. Uh, I don't know what these women like to sing. I mean, I've listened to the stuff that they've done uh, and I've heard recordings that they've made, but that doesn't necessarily mean that, that I'm going to be able to write something that they can, they can relate to. And that's always a big challenge for me because I want the performer to feel like he or she is co-creating. And if they don't take ownership of the piece for me, I think uh, the piece has failed them or I've written a piece that's not good for them. And so um, there are things that I do to help me. Uh, meditation really helps. And just sitting with the piece and listening to where, listening to it and trying to figure out where it wants to go. Because sometimes I feel like I impose myself too much now, if I get in a tight, obviously I'm gonna lean on my education and my experience, but ideally I'd like for the piece to just evolve. Uh, sometimes there's so much noise in the world that we can't hear the music, you know what I mean? And that's, that's not a good place for me to be in. Uh, I find when I overextend myself, uh, that happens a lot. But otherwise, I just kind of go with the flow of the muse. I mean, there's certain things that really inspire me. I love going to live programs. I love, you know, live theater. I love, you know, live music, um, just anything live. It just, I mean, even if it's really bad stuff, it inspires me because I say, oh man, I like the way they did this or, oh, I think I would have done this or, I, you know, and so the juices start flowing. My music is very dense very intense. And that is one of the things that I try to do is to try to write lighter stuff or write with a lighter hand. And oftentimes as dense as it is, <laughs> I've gone back and trimmed a lot of the fat and then I say, wow, I really can say this in fewer notes. And uh, it's interesting sometimes seeing where I started and where I ended. Um, sometimes it's scary, <laughs> but um Poetry, I can generally do at any time. You know, I mean, if you came up to me and, and gave me a word, I could 
you know, spin off a poem. If you tell me, I want this to be this type of poem or that type of poem. I really obviously resonate with, with haiku. Uh, I've been writing it since I was seven years old. And I'm just so grateful to have been introduced to that because I love brevity, but it's hard as hell. <laughs> haiku is not easy to write. Just let the poetry flow. And there are little things that are your job. And there are big things that are the job of the, the images and, and the words. And when you try to take over and get in other people's lane, that's when you start screwing up. And I just, one of these days, I'm just going to have time to just sit around and read haiku all day. That would be, <laughs> that would be really nice. And Fibonacci, I love Fibonacci. I'm a numbers person. So I used to teach mathematics. I love math. Uh, I'm married to an engineer, and he has a degree in math and physics and engineering. So it's kind of pathetic, you know, when we get together because people think we have nothing in common, and, and nothing could be further from the truth. Uh, you know, we we have these math moments or these moments where we meet, and he knows so much more music than I do. It's not even funny. I mean, he knows I can't listen to music when I'm writing, whereas he listens to music all day. And he loves, loves, loves Russian composers. And uh, so that's really interesting. But um, it's nice to be around those, I call them digit heads, those digit head types, because they're more creative than people think they are, mm -hmm. you know. And uh, my, my whole thesis was music is math made audible. And I wish I had come up with that, but I didn't. It was Boethius. But uh, that that kind of summarizes who I am as a composer, if I had to say one thing that describes me. Let's have some more music, but first let me tell you what we've been listening to so far on the program. I opened up the show with Sketches for Piano Trio, performed live by the wonderful Lincoln Piano Trio, and we heard the first movement, Sketches for the Ninth. And then we heard the wonderful pianist Thomas Jefferson performing Deliverance, a great gospel piece by Regina. Let's hear now a piece called Landscapes. This was performed on the Ear Taxi Festival, and we're going to hear Michael Hall viola, Marianne Parker piano, and Megan Enan mezzo-soprano.
I wanted to be a composer before I knew what a composer was. My mother used to sing these church choirs, and she was always, always humming. You know, I, I when I remember her, that's the first thing I remember. And she listened to this radio program called, uh, it was uh, WSDM, the station with the girls and all that jazz. They had all female announcers, no man on the air, and they only played jazz. And I just thought that was just the coolest thing. And sometimes she would say, oh, put on WSDM. And I would turn on the radio for it. By the way, I still listen to the radio every day. Love it, love it. And, and then she would go from there to FM 100, which I absolutely hated. It was like light radio stuff, you know, just kind of silly elevator music. And so she would go back and forth between that and, you know, like an FMT type thing. And then we listened to uh, VON, which the call numbers stand for Voices of the Negro. So it was a Black station where you, you heard all of this stuff about what was going on. It was equivalent to reading the Defender newspaper when I was a kid. So just hearing about all these people and the one thing that I loved about VON of all the stations is that all of these Black people had these different accents. And I realized it's because they came from different parts of the country. So some of these people, I would ask my mother, what, what, what are they saying? You know, like this guy, he would say the word nine, like nine. And I thought, you know, what does nine mean? And I'm going to the dictionary trying to find this word nine. And she said, oh, no, no, he's talking about the number nine. I said, oh, okay. So just, I was keenly aware of sound and how people manipulate sounds and how those manipulations are, are, are local, colloquial type stuff. And that, that just fascinated me. So I liked, I liked assembling all of those things. And then my father played uh, bluegrass fiddle and harmonica. And he was in this band with his family. My grandmother played piano. None of them read. It was, they were all from Kentucky. And, and she, she played uh, mostly uh, gospel music. Well, she started out playing devil music. And then when she got saved, she only played gospel music. And then my other uncle played guitar, never tuned. Uh, and the other one played um, washboard. Let's see, washboard, guitar. Uh, my dad was violin and or bluegrass fiddle. And, and then the other one played bass, kind of a bass gut bucket type instrument. And that always fascinated me. It was very embarrassing, though, growing up, having your father be in a family bluegrass band because everybody else was listening to Motown, which I absolutely love. But Motown is probably the greatest influence on me as a lyricist. I just listened to some of that stuff that people like Smokey Robinson and Marvin Gaye wrote when they were coming through that place. And it, it was just... It was fabulous. Uh, and then there are people like Stevie Wonder, who's just like a one man band. You know, he's just so, so, you know, adding all of that to the mix. I don't see where I could have been anything else but a composer.
him is a um, a vocal jazz piece that I wrote. Uh, you know, one thing I said at the jazz festival is that whole set was about love and peace. And I try to write things that are um, meaningful, especially vocal music. Ask Him is, is a love song. You know, my father-in-law, when he first heard it, said, you know, the thing I like about Ask Him is that you could be singing to a man, you could be singing to a friend, but I think it kind of summons a higher power. And I thought, wow, that's interesting. You know, I don't know that I had any deep thoughts when I wrote the piece. I was just, you know, writing what I heard. But anyway, I like the uh, woman who sings Ask Him, Roberta Thomas. She's not with us anymore. I liked her. She's trained as a gospel singer and she could do anything, anything at all. Hummingbird is uh, based on a percussion piece that I wrote. And so basically uh, what I did, I always wanted to write a piano duo. And um, it was, it's one of those things with Hummingbird. I think in one of my other lives, I'd like to be a pianist but I want to do just that. I can't like what I'm doing now with, you know, fiction and nonfiction and, and music. I can't do that to be a piano player. I've got to just concentrate on that. And so hummingbird is a piece that I wrote that I would love to play if, if I had the time to be a pianist.
Sketches for Piano Trio was um, uh, commissioned by a group in Philadelphia. They had a uh, pastor who was a visual artist and they wanted to put together a concert for her. And I was one of the composers that they asked to write a piece. And so I said, do you have any of her work that you could send me? And someone went in her bin and they took out a wad of paper that she had thrown out and they mailed it to me. So it was one of her sketches. And I, I really am so glad that I got that because I felt like I could kind of eavesdrop, you know, while she's working or, you know, watch her do her thing. And it was nice because uh, they sent me three stages of one sketch and then a few other things. So uh, those movements are, are, were inspired by that. And of course, this movement inspired by the pentatonic scale.
miles per hour um, is a piece that I wrote in tribute to uh, some of the trumpet teachers that I've had, especially William Butler Fielder, who uh, taught at Rutgers University. And he was, I call him a kingmaker because people like Freddie Hubbard, Wynton Marsalis, Terrence Blanchard, uh, they all studied with him. Uh, and I was probably um, one of his closest students. And he just, till the day he died, he said, you got to go back to your trumpet. I was like, dude, I don't have time to do that. And why would I want to play trumpet when there's people like when Marsalis out there? Why would I want to play trumpet when you've got other students like Freddie Hubbard? You know, just the thing that I really loved about him is that he knew a lot of jazz history and theory. And I, I was trying to pick his brain for that. And he kept nudging me. And finally, the only thing that got him off my back was I had an old OLDS uh, trumpet and it was antique and he loved it. And he kept begging me for this. And I thought, I can't give you this. This is the first trumpet my father ever bought me. It has sentimental reasons. And one day I used to go to New York a few times a year to visit Hale Smith and I'd visit Fielder at Rutgers. And one day I handed him this old, and he was like, oh my God, I can't believe you gave this to me. And I, I had it overhauled and everything. And he was like, oh God. And the whole time I was there, you know, I was talking to him and he's like, <laughs> he's like not even paying attention to me, you know, playing, playing the instrument. And that, that really, that really made me feel good because shortly thereafter, oh, he was always, he always had vision problems. And shortly thereafter, he started losing his sight and developed cancer and died and it, it wasn't pretty, but anyway, miles per hour. And I called it that because when I was writing this piece, I was talking to a friend of mine who know, knew a friend who played in Miles's band. And he said, hey, I think I could have Miles take a look at that piece. And I said, oh, this is wonderful. So I was talking about this. Everybody in my family knew, oh, I was going to go meet Miles Davis and show him this piece. And my niece, who at the time was about 12 years old, calls me and says, hey, Regina, aren't you doing something with some guy named Miles Davis? He just died. Click. And I thought, when I got home, I was like, who would leave this message on my machine? She just like, she shattered my world. And I called her and I was like, what are you talking about? And she said, I think he just died, but I can't talk right now. And, she just, and of course, I didn't want to turn on the news because I didn't want to hear. But anyway, that's my Miles Davis story.
That's trumpeter David Koch performing Miles Per Hour by Regina Harris by Aki. Wonderful solo trumpet piece and a great video as well. Check out his YouTube channel, David Koch, K-O-C-H. He's got a lot of really great video performances up there. I want to thank Regina Harris by Aki for being my guest on the program today. She's a multifaceted person, interested in so many different things, and I really, really love her music. If you want to find out more, check out her website, Regina Harris by Aki, B-A-I-O-C-C-H-I dot com. Relevant Tones is a production of Access Contemporary Music, a nonprofit organization with the mission of bringing musical creativity to life every day. Find out more at acmusic.org. For Relevant Tones, I'm Seth Bosted. Thanks so much for listening. <laughs>